Hello, my name is Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we've got for you this week. Today, I'll take a look at how Boeing and Airbus fared on orders and deliveries in October, while Tom sees why Ryanair is investing millions in its 737NG fleet. Joe will reveal the latest news from ITA Airways, while I look at the latest carrier to wave goodbye to a plane that we all love. That you love. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, I'll see what Elon Musk's Twitter takeover means for the account that tracks his private flights. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And Joe, I think it's your turn to start. It is my turn to start, and I'm excited to do a bit of a dive into what's going on at Airbus and Boeing this month, um, because we've just in the last few days had their uh, deliveries and orders results for October, and obviously it's closing on the end of the year, so we can kind of look at how they're performing against their year-end targets. So let's begin with Airbus. Um, the company delivered 60 airplanes in October, which was five more than September, so things are certainly moving in the right direction. Uh, the deliveries included one. A220-100, 4 a 220300 21 A320-NEOs, 26 A321-NEOs, an A330-300, two A330-NEOs, four A350-900s, and one A350-1000 and a partridge of pear tree. Um, so some of the most notable recipients within those orders were, of course, Starlux, which got its first A350. And my goodness, it looks lovely in that livery and the cabin looks fantastic. So hoping to get to fly on that at some point. Air China got its 20th A350. China Eastern got an A320neo, which was built in the um, Tianjin plant. And Delta got an A321neo from the Alabama plant. Um, So all in all, not a bad month for Airbus. Um, In total, they also snagged 177 orders during October. Um, Some of those that we were most interested in was, of course, IAG firming up 31 A320neos and 28 A321neos. Xiamen also firmed 25 A320neos and 15 A321s. Um, Other orders came in from Air Canada, Jet2. So, yeah. Again, a very robust month in terms of orders. Good to see things picking back up. In total, Airbus suffered 14 cancellations across October. Um, But to look at the kind of full year picture, so far in 2022, it has delivered 497 airplanes to 72 different customers, which sounds pretty good, but its target for the end of the year is 700 deliveries in total. Um, Airbus did say that the supply chain issues it's been suffering have been holding things back a little bit. Um, But the CEO, Gillan Forey, said this week that there is now a smooth supply of engines flowing through to the plane maker, and he's very hopeful of a achieving this target. Um, Airbus differs from Boeing in that it does build gliders, which are basically airplanes with no engines attached. So the kind of airframes are sitting there ready for their engines to be installed. So there is a possibility they could really ramp things up through the end of the year. But it does need 200 deliveries in the next two months to make that 700 aircraft target. We did kind of say this time last year that um, we didn't think they'd meet their target because they were in a very similar situation and they did manage to meet their target at the very last minute. So I know there's sort of an all hands on deck approach at the end of December by both of them usually just to try and get out 
some in this year rather than next year. Absolutely. (laughs) We can expect a very busy December for a Mm. bus. I I don't doubt. Um, Anyway, let's move on and look at what Boeing's been up to. Um, So they didn't have such a good month for deliveries. Just 35 airplanes were delivered in October. This is significantly down from the 51 they pushed out in September. Um, Boeing said that this was caused by a flaw in the 737 fuselage. Now, I've been looking around. I can't really find any details on this. But we will continue to dig and see if we can find out what actually is going on. It doesn't seem to be major um, because they are still putting out 737 MAX. Um, In fact, of the 35 planes delivered in October, 22 were the MAX. Um, Lots went to leases, um, but some went to airlines. United got four, Southwest got five, Lion Air got a couple, Ryanair just got one. Um, I think they'd have liked more than that from uh, what Michael O'Leary said earlier this week. Um, Other customers included Gull, Alaska, and 777 Partners, which would be a plane either for Bonza or Flair. Um, I think this month it was Bonza's turn. Lufthansa, as we know, also took its first 7879. Air France KLM got a 78710 and American well, got no, no, a... No, 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 no. The first 787 for Lufthansa was back in August. Oh, this must be the second then. Yeah, it was the second one. I do apologise. That no worries. for putting me straight on the German <laughs> airline, Tom. Uh, and American got a pair of 7878s. Um... Boeing actually had quite a good month for orders as well. So they got 122 orders in during October. Um, The biggest one was Alaska Airlines with 52 more max. But IAG also firmed up 50 max. So definitely hedging its bets on the narrow body side there. Mm. Um, The only wide body passenger planes ordered were 10 7879s for an unidentified customer. May well be a Lisa. Um, We don't know. There were a few freighter orders as well that kind of ticked the numbers up. Um, But what was notable was that October was Boeing's first month since July 2019 that the plane maker has received zero cancellations. So that's really, really good. Good for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The delivery total for the year for Boeing stands at 363 airplanes. Almost 300 of those are the 737 MAX. Um, Looking at the MAX itself, they originally forecast for this year that they'd deliver 500 MAX aircraft in 2022. Um, But earlier in the year, they did reduce that to around 400 because of the supply chain issues. But it still leaves Boeing with around 50 max a month to push out until the end of the year if it's Mm. going to meet its targets. Um, As I mentioned, Boeing does not build gliders. Uh, They prefer to fix the engines as part of the... um, final assembly line process they think it results in a better product so it is directly affected by any slow in the supply chain um but i would think that they will be pushing as hard as airbus to meet their proposed targets um so yeah should be an interesting end to the year i think tom Mm, well, watch the space and um, we'll get the betting ready. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk a bit more about one of the Ryanair customers. Uh, I've, I've given it away, the Boeing customers um, <laughs> that you were talking about, and that is Ryanair. And, you know, fuel burn, let's talk about that. It's a key consideration across the aviation industry, especially given the current global situation on the cost of fuel. You know, firstly, fuel costs airlines money. It uses, um, if a airline uses less money, uh, less fuel, it spends less money. Lower fuel burn also means fewer CO2 emissions, which is a win for the airline and the environment. So Ryanair this week said, we're going to spend a lot of money to use a lot less fuel. Um, So I looked into this and a bit of the numbers and stuff. Um, 
what did they say exactly? They said that they're going to be retrofitting split scimitar winglets to 409 of its 737-800 aircraft. And these are basically, whereas, you know, like if you look at the end of the wing right now of a Ryanair plane, um, you get to the end and then it just goes up um, at the end. Well, now they want to add another little bit that goes down, uh, kind of like a shark's fin. Um it changes the whole airflow around the wing and it uh, saves a lot of money. But how much do you reckon uh, Ryanair is going to be spending on this? Uh, millions. <laughs> 200 million, oh, wow. roughly. More than more than 200 million. So mm. um, it, you kind of, if you just take 200 million and divide it by 400, it suggests it's around half a million per aircraft to install these two little winglets either side. Um, you know... There's clearly a business case to it, though, because Ryanair, you know, they, they're cautious with their money. They don't want to waste cash. You know, that's why they didn't repaint their fleets into Malta Air and Buzz. And we only saw those liveries with new aircraft deliveries. Mm-hmm. Um, the upfront costs aren't cheap, but, you know, I really think it could pay off moving forwards. And I did a little bit of maths and this is very rough maths. So mm-hmm. don't quote me on it, you know. Um, it does kind of make sense, but, you know, it's very variable and there's probably other variables that I haven't taken into account. But basically... Ryanair said that it spent 2.1 billion uh, dollars, euros, whatever, that's about the same right now, on fuel in the first half of um, the year, the financial year. So it says it's going to drive a 1.5% fuel burn saving with these uh, winglets. So, you know, if you just um, take the fuel one H1 fuel expenditure in a basic calculation, it would save over $30 million dollars across six months so 60 million dollars per year Mm. now bear in mind that you're only spending 200 million on the retrofit itself it would theoretically pay for itself in under four years Mm. um although you know that that again assumes that they all have them on day one so um you know this is very basic time yeah (laughs) um (laughs) but the saving obviously isn't purely financial burning less fuel means the airline's making less carbon fewer carbon emissions so across the industry um it will help them get to the net zero IATA goal of 2050. Mm. Um, it's interesting because, you know, Ryanair's fleet, the oldest one is actually only 18 years old and the youngest is around four years old. This is the Dash 800s mm-hmm. um, with an average age of around 10.3 years old. So there's still quite a lot of use given for all of these aircraft. And given that every aircraft is going to get the winglets, it kind of suggests that they're not really planning to retire anything in the future, which I think, you know, it was my understanding they were originally going to replace them with the Maxes, but now they're thinking, hang on, we can actually operate more flights if we keep them and mm. get the Maxes. Um, I think the Maxes aren't coming quick enough for them either. You know, with the amount yeah. of network expansion they're capable of doing, they're just not mm. getting enough Max. Well, I mean, they had the two year delay as well, but they've got mm. about 80 right now. Um, they, the Maxes aren't going to get the split scimitar uh, winglets, and that's partly, pro- um, well, mainly because they already have a. Uh, a split winglet called the AT winglet. Um, and this is a spin-off uh, from the Boeing Eco Demonstrator program. So it shows that technologies that they're testing on there do come true. Um, and if you want to see a comparison between the two w- uh, winglets, have a look at simpleflying.com. Mm, I've learned something today because I thought those winglets on the Max were split scimitar winglets. They're um, not. And I think people can get easily confused because they look similar, but the ones mm. on the Max kind of extend the whole length of the, the end of the wing, whereas on the 
dash 800s the bit going up is the whole length of the wing but the bit going down is kind of shorter and it looks like it you know it looks like it's added on rather than it was it is mm. not blended in so well um although it's blended in well enough to make the fuel savings so <laughs> absolutely um, and i have to say i i can't get the image out of my head than when we were at the dubai air show and we were in the boeing pavilion and we stood next to a, a winglet i think it was a max winglet they are enormous i mean mm. you kind of look at them on planes they look like diddy little things at the end of the wing but they are huge i mean it was way taller than me <laughs> yeah i mean i'm pretty sure just the the bit going up on the end of the dash 800 winglets is around seven feet and wow. it really doesn't look like it when you're sat in there but you're like wow if i stood next to this i'd be shorter than it yeah crazy anyway let's move on i wanted to talk a little bit about it airways um because the plane ha- plane the airline has been flying for over a year now their first flights were back in october 2021 um and they've been doing okay in terms of building out what they do and they've been taking new planes and they reach new destinations in fact just in the last few days they became the latest carrier to launch flights to japan since the covid measures were relaxed there so ita flew to haneda last saturday from rome fiumicino sorry if i didn't say that properly Uh, They'll be operating the route three times a week to Japan with the Airbus A350. Um, This is a former Alitalia route, so you could kind of see it as a resumption, but they're very firm on seeing ITA as a separate new airline and not just Alitalia with a a new coat of paint. Mm. Um, But anyway, I'll leave that for the discussions um, between our listeners. (laughs) Um, Anyway, it was reportedly a full flight for the inaugural, um, but it was a bit longer than usual due to Russian airspace closures. So normally they'd kind of head north from Italy and go across Russia and then back down to Haneda. But they had to go very, very south and kind of travel over um, the Middle East to get there. I think it was about 14 hours, the flight in mm. total. Um, yeah, so, I saw they flew over Kazakhstan and waved to our friends over there too. <laughs> they did indeed. Um, yeah, so not an easy route to launch, but they're looking ahead. I think they're launching Delhi soon as well. Um, so yeah, in terms of what they're doing, things look good, but things are are not behind the scenes all very well. Um, As we know, ITER is for sale. Earlier in the year, they had been exclusively talking to um, a consortium which included Air France KLM, Delta Airlines, and a company called Citaris, which I think is some sort of investment firm. Um, they, we pretty much thought the deal was done and dusted. Um, they were just kind of fleshing out the details. But then last week, it was revealed that the exclusivity had actually ended. In fact, it ended at the end of um, August, but then they extended it another month and then they extended it a little bit more. Now they have completely um, lifted the exclusivity. So talks have reopened with Tom's favourite airline, Lufthansa. Um, Negotiations were not going very well. Um, In fact... ITA's executive chairman, a chap called Alfredo Altavilla, uh, was in charge of leading the negotiations, but he was removed from the negotiating table a couple of weeks ago, uh, with negotiations now being handed over to be conducted by the CEO, Fabio Lazzarini. Altavilla was accused of slowing the negotiations with Sataris. Um, and in fact, just a couple of days ago, Altavilla resigned. Uh, so he's clearly not happy with the way things have gone. He cited a strategy disagreement 
accent, whatever that means. Um, so uh, lots of tech speak, but uh, he's out of the picture. And hopefully with uh, Mr. Lazzarini driving the negotiations forward, there will be an agreement before the end of the year. Um, but it seems the carrier is still struggling financially. It makes you tear your hair out. You know, after Alitalia ended its um, long run in the Italian market with something like $11 billion of debt, um, to see ITER not making money as well, it makes you want to cry. Because today it was revealed that ITER will get another $400 million from the Italian government. Um, the EU, although it's kind of put a lid on um government's funding their airlines. It did say when it when they launched ITER that the Italian government could invest up to 1.35 billion euros, which is about the same in dollars these days. Um, previously, when ITER launched, they gave them 700 million. Now it's given them another 400 million. I guess it remains to be seen whether the remaining 250 million will be needed by ITER, ITER before it is taken over by probably Lufthansa or the Air France KLM Delta guys. Um, but we'll have to wait see on that. Yeah, we'll wait and see. Um, I don't really have anything to add to that. I was going to do try and do a nice segue, but um, that's that's out of the window now. Okay. Um, but what we can do is move on to Tom's A380 podcast segment, um, because <laughs> I seem to manage to find an amazing A380 story to talk about every week. And this week, we are going to talk about uh, China Southern Airlines, which we haven't really talked about their A380 so much. Hmm. You know, They haven't got the, very many, have they? Well, <laughs> they were the only airline to operate throughout the pandemic, though, with the A380, because even Emirates um, grounded it at the height of the pandemic. They kept flying, and there was a time when only their A380s were in the skies at the like April 2020-ish. Um, mm. You know, now they're in the final stages of retiring their fleet of five aircraft, though. They sent two to the Mojave Desert to be dismantled earlier this year. And the three remaining planes, um, you know, they're yet to leave China, but one has been parked in Guangzhou since mid-November. But what do we know? Well, I heard some whisperings of China southernness in um the industry and I sort of I, I went over to our schedule friends over at Syrium and did some digging and you know, China Southern has two or had two A380 rotations planned for November 2022. And I looked all the way through as far as October 2023, because that's as much as I have so far. And there were no more China Southern A380 flights planned. And, you know, as we know that they're looking to retire the fleet, you know, it's not been confirmed, but it looks like this is it. It appears um, so the what, time is now. <laughs> yeah. What were the final flights? Well, on the 4th of November, uh, CZ-307 flew from Guangzhou to Amsterdam and returned from Amsterdam back to Guangzhou at um, landing in Guangzhou on the 5th of November. And then in the evening on the 5th of November, Ch uh, China Southern 327 flew from uh, Guangzhou to Los Angeles. And this was one of those fun time travel flights because it left uh, Guangzhou out at 9.30 in the evening on November the 5th and landed in Los Angeles at 7.10 on November the 5th. Um, <laughs> and then on the way back, um, it left Los Angeles on November the 6th at 22.20. And it arrived two days later at 5.40 <laughs> in the morning in Guangzhou. So um, I really love these bizarre time things. trip must things. be such a, a head mess for the people that yeah. are flying it. It's like, funny because it? <laughs> it's only 15 hours and 20 minutes, but they like lose a day effectively. Um, yeah. So I would kind or of like to give day. it a go maybe. But, <laughs> yeah, I would. Um, but anyway, uh, I wonder if how that works with your age, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> Have two but, birthdays or... <laughs> yeah. Um, so they've they've got 
uh, rid of they got rid of their first two already, um, and that was um, Bravo six one three six and Bravo six one three seven. They are MSN thirty one and thirty six respectively, and they were flown out to Mojave earlier this year. And I think we might have talked about it on the podcast, but I uh, got quite excited that they were the first A three eighties to be placed on the US N register, and they'll never <laughs> fly with their N registrations, but um, the formalities. Um, Bravo 6138 last flew in mid-October, and it's been in Guangzhou since. And uh, 6139 and 6140 were still active um, ahead of the final flight. But it's a bit of a significant uh, um, trend within the aviation industry. It's not just China Southern, because even before COVID, many airlines... British Airways, KLM, Qantas, they were all looking to retire the 747. Uh, Airlines were looking to get rid of the A340. And Air France was actually the first one to say before the pandemic, we're going to get rid of all of our A380s. And, you know, the pandemic sped up a lot of these retirements, but they didn't cause it. Um, So I I just find it really interesting that... um, China Southern was the one that kept flying with this plane throughout mm-hmm. the pandemic and is now getting rid of it. But, um, you know, it's 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 a shame that we're not going to see them so much. Um, but with a fleet of five A380s, you know, it's not the biggest loss to the program, especially, you know, when um, Emirates is going to keep flying its um, planes for however long. Um, mm. One other interesting thing to mark, um, I did see on Twitter yesterday that uh, one of Lufthansa's A380s popped up um, on flight radar in Tyrell with a test um, thing, and it didn't fly anywhere, but um, it did register that its transponder had been turned on. So I wonder if That's we exciting. could see some interesting things happening there soon. Yeah, I think uh, I read somewhere that it takes 5,000 work hours to get an mm. A380 out of storage. So um, it's going to be a lot of work for those Lufthansa techs to get some of those planes back ready. I think, yeah, is it next well, summer that they're coming back for? It's next summer that they should be coming back. I'm not sure if it's Lufthansa that would do that, though, or um, because they'd have to fly out there. And um, I, I guess the, the people in Tyrell, they did mm. all of the work to store them. So I would That's assume true. they can also do the work to to undo them uh, from this uh, aviation uh, airplane nursery, I believe, is what they like to call it. <laughs> not a graveyard. It's not a graveyard. <laughs> it's not a graveyard. We, we know it's not a graveyard because they're coming back. <laughs> They've just been looking after them. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, having a well, long sleep. <laughs> the Lufthansa ones, at least, uh, they did. It was last week we were talking about the Air France ones being scrapped. <laughs> yeah. So, um, moving on from the A380 podcast, you can wake up now, all you A380 sleepers. Um So if you are as addicted to Twitter as I am, you will know that the biggest news over the last week or so has been the fact that Elon Musk has bought Twitter. Um, Mm, He always seems to be at the top of my feed now. And me. Is that like him tweaking the algorithm to make sure everyone notices him? I don't know. Anyway, um, so one of the big questions, um, I don't know if you guys followed this last year, um, but there is an account that tracks Elon Musk's private jet. Um, It's run by a student called Jack Sweeney, um, a really nice chap who is very good with data and um, programming and things like that. Um, Basically, Elon flies around in a Gulfstream G650ER. Um, It does fly for other people as well. It's not always got Elon on board, but um, it's hidden from most flight trackers because its registration number is kept as private. However, Mm. every airplane flying around um, transmits ADSB, which means they can be tracked if you know how. Jack Sweeney does know how. And, yeah, uh, and I think it's because they show up on AD, um, ADSB 
the, the we had a lovely chat with the the chap there um, on a previous podcast episode. We did at ADSB Exchange. That's, that's right. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Do go and listen to that back if mm. you want to know how this works. But uh, so Jack Sweeney basically set up a Twitter account that automatically posts whenever Elon's jet takes off, um, where it's going, and when it lands, and that sort of thing. So if people want to know where it is, they can find out. He doesn't just do it for Elon Musk. He also does Bill Gates and a bunch of Russian oligarchs and all sorts of different people. Um, but Elon had taken um, a front to this last year, and and he did offer. Jack Sweeney, five grand to take the account down. Sweeney refused and presented a counter offer of 50 grand. Um, in fact, there was a little bit of a conversation between the two where um, Sweeney said, you know, he wouldn't expect any money actually to take the account down, but he would like an apprenticeship with Elon Musk, to which he got mm. no reply. Anyway, so the big question has been now that Elon owns Twitter, will he remove Elon Jet, which is this account that posts the location of his private aircraft? Um, so, in fact, Jack Sweeney took a poll on Twitter to see how many people thought that it would be taken down. Um, nearly 60% voted yes. Um, but on I think November, I voted yes as well. I think I did too. <laughs> but on November the 6th, Elon Musk tweeted that he has no intention of taking the account down, despite the fact that he still thinks it poses a security threat. He says that his commitment to freedom of speech, especially on social media, compels him to let the account remain as he believes it's the right thing to do. So Jack Sweeney shared an appreciation for Musk's commitment to freedom of speech and the fact that he's not going to kick his account off Twitter. Um, but he went on to state that he does condemn any use of the account to track down Musk personally um, and is still open to negotiations regarding the account's removal, but clearly still off looking for a better offer than five grand. Um in fact, we spoke to Jack Sweeney to find out what he thought about the fact that Elon says he will absolutely leave the account up and running. And he told us that he figured he wouldn't ban it, um, but he never expected him to publicly comment. He noted that he's just giving the account more attention. And if it was really that much of a security issue, why would you even bring its existence um, to you know, highlight it to your 100 million plus followers? Um, the data's already out there. So even if Jack takes his account down, someone else could still find him or or still set up another account that tracks his jet. So, you know, it's not a big deal. But the fact that Elon said something about it, now there's like many more people that know it exists and are probably following it. So um, I don't know how much of a security risk he really thinks it is or whether he just likes the publicity for brand Elon, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, but, uh, like the Air Force One, you know, it won't show on um, places. We had this chat with, I think with Dan about... Um, Air Force One won't show on like flight radar because they take NTSB or FAA data, but it does show on ADSB Exchange. And you know, if there was a that would be a way higher security risk than mm. um, um, Elon Finding Musk. Finding out where Musk you know. is, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> but like you know, if there was the president would be uh, some if anyone could sort it out he could so yeah um, at the I think end of it's the just... day it's not confidential information it's, yeah. it's publicly available and you know ADSB exchange has the facility to track that it's just flight radar doesn't because it relies yeah. on tail numbers and it blocks any private flights but uh, anyway I did want to just talk about Elon because I'm feeling very nervous about my Twitter addiction and what's going to become of Twitter in the next months and years um but like mm. you like to say, Tom, I guess we'll have to wait and see. We will have to wait and see. And I think that's 
about all we've got time for today, isn't it? I think so. It's been a great podcast. I've enjoyed talking to you and we hope you've enjoyed it too. And as usual, we welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do leave us a rating on your favourite podcast player. And thanks for listening. Bye.